0: Welcome to this podcast, an AI translation of an interview from earlier this year. Originally recorded in January 2023, journalist Henrik Fenz of Techtopia Media sat down with Jesper Toft, the founder of the GSU Solution. The content has been updated to align with this AI translation's release in November 2023. For more information on the GSU, we invite you to visit www.gsu.com. For a deeper understanding of the protocol driving the GSU forward, please explore www.gsuprotocol.com. Enjoy the podcast.
1: Tactopia.
2: Techtopia is a podcast about people and their technology published by the Danish Society of Engineers. My name is Henrik Fiens, and I'm in charge of Techtopia. There's a lot of turbulence in the international economy at the moment, and over the past year, there has also been turbulence in the alternative economy of cryptocurrencies, where several exchanges have gone bankrupt and major scams have been uncovered. But that doesn't mean that crypto and blockchain are scams and something you shouldn't be interested in. Quite the opposite, in fact. If we think back to the financial crisis in 2008 and 2009, Bitcoin was invented in the wake of that crisis. And since then, there has been an accelerated development and adoption of cryptocurrencies and blockchains. This means that there are people sitting around looking at how to create stable currencies. There are central banks in China, Europe, the US, Sweden, and elsewhere That have started looking at creating digital currencies but you don't have to be a central bank to create a currency which may sound strange but it's the case and you don't have to live in silicon valley or china to be able to do it you can actually live a little north of copenhagen denmark and develop your own stable coins as it is also called or the currency we are going to hear about today a global stability unit this means a currency that doesn't fluctuate so much resulting in low risk and cost when doing international transactions compared to using the U.S. dollar, for instance. You'll hear more about all this today and in the next episode of Techtopia, where we'll continue the story from a bird's eye perspective, where we'll talk with a mathematics professor and a professor of economics at CBS in Copenhagen. However, this week we're focusing on a group of men in Copenhagen, who have invented a super-stable unit that can be used in international trade, and that may eventually challenge the dominance of the dollar.
1: TACTOPIA My name is Jesper Toft, and I am the founder and inventor of the GSU system and the company called GSU Protocols which has developed and launched the GSU protocol.
2: And then comes the obvious question, what is a GSU and what problems are you
1: tackling? The reason we've developed it is that many years ago, I experienced a problem in connection with the deal I was preparing. And while we were in the process of closing the deal, the dollar dropped 12% during this period. And what we started out with was not what we ended up with. And we ended up in a heated discussion about who should cover this loss. This led me to look at how we can solve the issue of currencies fluctuating so significantly in relation to one another, which is a problem for everyone involved in trade and all kinds of transactions across countries. The only thing that makes us richer is to produce and sell goods. And the easier we make it to trade with each other, the better opportunities we have for creating better economic conditions.
2: So how are you trying to solve this problem? Because I wonder, can one man solve it? What happened after you had that experience with the deal that got in trouble?
1: Well, this deal that was supposed to happen. I was the founder of a tech company at the Technical University of Denmark, and I was going to sell my shares to one of the investors in the Middle East. Here we ended up in a heated discussion. After someone had been very impolite in the discussion, I thought to myself that it wasn't my fault that the dollar had dropped 12% in value, and I didn't want to listen to people being rude and impolite for something I hadn't done. So I thought, we need to solve this, because if I have this problem, then there are definitely others who have the same problem with disorderly movements in exchange rates. And the principles aren't really that hard to understand. Currently, 88% of all money transactions in the world are settled in US dollars. The daily market is more than $6 trillion. That is what is being transferred and traded every day. In other words, $6 trillion each day. Of that, 88% is denominated in U.S. dollars. This also includes when a Danish company trades with a company in Japan, or a company in India, or anywhere in the world. Then it's settled in U.S. dollar. And this doesn't really make any sense. Instead, what makes sense is to figure out a solution where you find a common denominator for all currencies at once. And the system that we have developed and which is verified by the Department of Mathematical Science at the University of Copenhagen, is that we are able to measure and calculate what you can call the common denominator of neutral-equal stability between all parties. In other words, if you use this unit, you will simply not have the basis for an argument about whether you've been treated fairly or equally in a trade between two different currencies. It's simply a common denominator, where no one is treated better or worse than anyone else. The result is that on a global level, currency fluctuations are reduced by more than 50%. For the national economy, this represents a very large value. But also, very significant for the individual who is in the crypto space today. Currently, there are $130 billion issued in stablecoins. A stablecoin is a unit that refers to an existing fiat currency. 99.7% of all stablecoins that are on blockchain today refer to the US dollar. 99.7%. So, as the U.S. dollar dropped 10% over just three months at one point this year, then 80% of those who live outside the U.S. and use blockchain lost 10% of their money.
2: Now there are a lot of things in what you say that we perhaps need to have clarified. When you say a unit, what kind of unit are you talking about?
1: What we have created is a method for finding what we call the center of exchange rate gravity. This is the neutral point between all currencies. In other words, what are they worth in relation to each other? For this point of balance to become functional, and go from being mathematics and big data analysis, we need to create a unit. The unit is a cryptocurrency that operates on the Ethereum blockchain, where you can use it just like you can use all kinds of currencies you use today to interact with the outside world. In short, we're creating a digital unit that will be more stable than any existing currency. It is also the first crypto that beats the U.S. dollar in international price stability. When we started the process, I thought, how should people understand this? Do you remember, Henrik, when we were kids we had these playing cards with cars on, where there was a picture of a car, and then below there were different parameters to compare. So, let us imagine I hand them out and you get the one with the Ferrari. You can see that it has a high acceleration and a high top speed. Whereas, if I get the Bentley... I'm going to get a car with a high weight. Now, try to imagine the same type of cards for money. What are the parameters you use to compare money? Once you understand those parameters, then you have the basis to develop a new system that improves the current system. The three parameters to measure the properties of money are volatility, how stable it is, interest rates, and the underlying debt. So, when we started out, we said, let's make the card that outperforms all the others. Imagine a similar set of cards just for money. So we have one with the euro and the British pound and the Japanese yen and the Indian rupee and so forth. And that was the task we embarked on. Our solution is to look at each individual country. For example, if we look at Denmark, we examine how much economic integration we have with Sweden, Norway, the UK and the eurozone. However, what we measure is the volatility of the exchange rates. So... How much does the Swedish krona fluctuate in relation to the Danish kron? And how much does the Norwegian kron fluctuate in relation to the Danish kron? And then we are able to calculate what we call a weighted volatility measurement for the individual country. Note that it doesn't matter how much the Danish currency fluctuates with the Fiji Islands, because we don't trade with the Fiji Islands, but it is very important to observe how much it fluctuates in relation to the four currencies I mentioned since they make up 85% of our trading partners.
2: Does this mean that the system you have invented to measure the stability does the same for all currencies? Then you need to know trade relations and everything else, right?
1: That's correct. We measure more than 1,000 bilateral relations in real time. Therefore, the basis for the GSU rate is that we examine the 32 largest countries, which make up more than 80% of all capital flow in the world. And then for each of these countries, we have looked at their 35 largest trading partners. Basically, you have a thousand relationships, where we measure in real time how these are fluctuating in relation to each other. And what we are able to do is, if you imagine a transparent balloon where the surface can be pressed a little, that is when the economy fluctuates, and we are able to find the point that is exactly in the middle, at all times. And then we're able to turn that point into a functional rate, And then create a digital unit that tracks this rate. And that unit is the world's most stable unit.
2: But then you have this digital unit. You have a system that can measure the stability and create this unit. But then what? It somehow must be used for something. This is theoretical, isn't it?
1: No. Well, it is, until it isn't. And that is where you can say that it needs to be productized. There has to be something that people can start using practically, and a unit has to be introduced to the market. The next challenge has been to determine how we can create this digital unit in a way that doesn't interfere with any legislation and governments. And this is done via a blockchain protocol called GSU Protocol. It's a system that exists on the blockchain, where the user can lock their cryptocurrencies into the protocol and then issue the GSU coins themselves. This is how it's brought to the market. The system was first introduced on Testnet and later deployed on the Ethereum mainnet.
2: Can I just ask a question for clarification here, where you say you can issue money yourself? It sounds as if you print your own money.
1: No, of course not. You can only issue an amount that is backed by the corresponding reserve assets you have locked. Can you
2: explain how it works?
1: It's called the CDP protocol, which stands for Collateralized Debt Position. It's basically a program where you bring, for example, an ETH, a wrapped BTC, or a USDT.
2: Which are cryptocurrencies.
1: Yes, that's correct. There will also soon be a crypto euro. We will also be able to accept the dollar bound crypto, so there will be a binding relationship with the existing fiat currencies here. Once you have locked your crypto, it will act as the underlying security in the system. So you can go into the system and say, I have this address, and I have locked X amount. And then you press a button, and the system lets you issue Y number of GSE units. In the end, you are the one in control, but the protocol makes sure that the minting of coins, which you call this process, is done properly. So you could
2: say you're making a deposit of real money, if we can call fiat money that, right? You
1: can make a deposit of assets that are on the blockchain, but that also includes other stablecoins that exist today, and they actually refer to fiat currencies. Therefore, a dollar stablecoin is in some way a mirror of a dollar. But now you say, it can also
2: be other cryptos that you deposit. What if you deposit very volatile
1: cryptocurrencies? Then there is an individual safety margin in the system for each type of deposit. This ensures that you, for example, only can be allowed to take out 70% of what you have deposited, if it's a very volatile crypto that you have deposited. As in all such systems, some mechanisms also start an auction immediately if the amount you've deposited compared to what you've withdrawn approaches the safety margin for full coverage. When the sell-off happens, the position in the system is secured. We have made what is called a fork, which it's called when it's an open-source system of the most tested CDP system that has been running for more than six years on the blockchain, called Maker. And when you say it's called a fork, it's because it's an open-source system. So
2: basically, you've made a copy of the system and added to it.
1: Yes. Well, Maker has been running for more than six years on the Ethereum blockchain, and we have made a copy, which is called a fork when it is an open-source system. In the Maker system, you make a digital unit that refers to the dollar, and what we simply do is make the digital unit that comes out of our system, the GSU coin, refer to the GSU rate.
2: But once you have contributed your assets and exchanged them for GSU, What
1: happens then? What can you do then? From there, you can bring them out into the blockchain ecosystem, as it's called. You take them out and exchange them for other currencies. Then there's the process that is coming, which is that they eventually need to be able to be used in a variety of places. But there are already agreements with several trading platforms that will allow you to keep them stored and exchange them for every other cryptocurrency that exists on the market.
2: When you say trading platforms... Are these other exchanges where you can trade cryptocurrency?
1: Yes, there are different systems where you can exchange your tokens.
2: But if we go back to the problem you initially had, how does the GSU protocol solve it?
1: The way it does this is that while the stablecoins that refer to the dollar follow the dollar exchange rate, this digital unit follows the exchange rate of the GSU system. You can compare the GSU rate to the GPS system in your car or phone, and if you turn it on, you can see exactly where you are on earth at any time. You can imagine that the GSU system is a monetary GPS system that is able to constantly determine where the point of balance is between all these bilateral relations and the GSU coin, the coin that represents that point of balance. If we look at the users of blockchain today, 80% lives outside the US. This means that when these almost 100% dollar stable coins fall in value, users in the UK... Users in Europe or users in Japan lose 10% of their value. And since there are $130 billion, crypto users can easily have lost $13 billion in the three-month period where the dollar decreased significantly in value this year. That is the problem we are addressing. We are also the first crypto that has better international price stability than any fiat currency. So we potentially have the opportunity to be able to compete with the old monetary world. To give you an understanding of this, we can go back to when the internet came along. There were several industries that started to see the internet as a new distribution channel. For example newspapers and bookstores. They said at an early stage, we can use that technology to distribute via. So all the newspapers started creating websites and they started publishing on the internet. But at the same time, the new technology brought some features that weren't possible in the old world. For example. Hotels.com and Expedia disrupted the travel agency industry. There was Skype, which disrupted the phone industry. There were the streaming services. There was Facebook. All these things that came out of the new technology are now completely dominant in the existing world as the Internet has become more and more adopted. That's exactly what's going to happen with blockchain. There's no difference in this technology movement. We have a new technology. It's called blockchain. Within the last year, we've seen huge banks like JP Morgan, DBS in Singapore, BBVA in Spain, Goldman Sachs, all say that they will start using decentralized finance, so blockchain, to operate VIA. So we can see that banks are starting to use this distribution channel. But at the same time, we at GSU are the first of these systems that have a better function than the old world. A system that can actually compete in the existing world and have a value proposition that is significantly better
2: but it requires that people use it. In other words, are they willing to use it? I'm wondering, how do you get to the point where, for example, I could make a trade in GSU instead of dollars if I had a company that needed to sign a contract with someone abroad?
1: I think it's going to happen very quickly. Our initial aim is to spread out into the crypto space to begin with because the economy in the crypto ecosystem itself is so big. But the bottom line is that there are a lot of applications and systems that are already working on enabling you to pay with your cryptocurrencies in stores. And more and more banks are starting to offer it. Not in Denmark. Denmark is actually very far behind when it comes to this. However, there are many international banks that offer to hold your cryptocurrencies for you. So you can have a crypto deposit just like you can have a cash deposit. It's a dynamic movement. And the question is how fast will it go? but from my perspective, there's no doubt it's going to happen. There aren't any people in their right mind when booking a trip who today wouldn't go and check the flight price and hotel price on Hotels.com, Expedia, or Mamando. If you look back 20 years, there has been a complete change in behavior. And if you try to imagine if 30 years ago, I would have said, we can live just fine without the postal service. Then you would sit and think, how are we going to get letters? And how are we going to send bills? And how are we going to communicate with each other? But we live just fine today. There is no postal service. I think they bring out the post once a week in our neighborhood. You really have to look at it and think, does this work better? And if it works better, then there will be an adoption of it. The question is then, how fast will it happen? One thing is for sure, the more unstable the old system becomes, the faster the adoption will be.
2: But do you have a system today that works?
1: Yes, we initially launched it on the test network towards the end of last year.
2: The test network?
1: If you try to imagine the blockchain, and then compare it to a Formula 1 track where you next to it have a completely identical track, where you can practice and test your engine, your tires, and so on. Then when you are ready you can easily move to the real track. The test network is a completely identical system where everyone can interact with it. Within a few months, We had more than 14,000 followers on our Twitter community. So, we went from 0 to 14,000 Twitter followers, and more than 5,000 have already started using the system to test it. We are fine-tuning the things that the community provides to us through their feedback. The very first real units have already been issued on the Ethereum mainnet. So how many of these 5,000 test users do you expect to switch to the open system? All of them. And many more. I don't think that's the problem. I think there's so much interest, there's so much traction, there are so many inquiries because of the value proposition. It's all about creating value for people. We made a calculation last year in relation to different countries, for example Norway, which is very crypto-adaptive. They use a lot of cryptocurrencies, are very interested in it, and invest a lot in it. And if Norway, if we imagine as a country, used the GSU coin to make their international trades. It will contribute financially to the Norwegian national budget with 63 billion Norwegian kroner. And that's not one time. It's every year. But
2: then all international trade which Norway has should be done with the GSU. Is that what the calculation is based on?
1: Yes, that's what the calculations are. But it is more to show that if you actually do it. Well, it would probably take some time. But it's more to show the value proposition. But it also comes down to the ordinary investor. If the ordinary user, who may have hundreds of thousands of kroner in various cryptocurrencies, goes over to these dollar stable coins and then the dollar drops, then it's also quickly 5, 10, and 20,000 the ordinary user can save by using the GSU instead.
2: So, the incentive is to
1: save money? Precisely. It's about stability, that's the essence. We're offering the best international price stability available and this is well documented. It's about security and assurance. It's ease of mind. Should you seek risk and excitement, then the GSU coin might not be your cup of tea. But for unparalleled price stability, the GSU coin is the choice for you. How is it structurally organized? There is an association which is the organ in which the GSU system is developed and operated, and that association is officially located at the Department of Mathematics.
2: You mean here in Copenhagen?
1: Yes, in Copenhagen. And then we have a company, and that company is responsible for the technical side of the protocol. There will also be built an online community. Well, we call it a protocol token. And a protocol token is like a token that you distribute to the market, but you use it for community engagement. In other words, you don't know who is on the blockchain, so you give the opportunity for those who want to help us expand our system to receive a badge to be part of this community. To sum it up, there's a Danish organization that does the calculations, there's a Danish company that oversees the technology, and then there's the structure with the blockchain community, where people who have the GSU protocol token will be able to vote on important decisions to be made. They help show the direction of where we can go in the years to come. So where do you sit
2: in this chain of operations? You probably need to get something out of this too, right?
1: Well. In the end, if you create things that work, then it's often the case that there will be benefits from it.
2: But what is the business model here? How do you generate
1: revenue from this system? If you come with an asset that you want to lock in the protocol. For example, if you come with an ETH, then there is what is called a stability fee on the number of units you withdraw on it, and the stability fee is the earnings in the protocol. And the more insecure the digital asset you bring is, the higher the stability fee is, and the more secure it is the lower it is. So there's also a certain limit to how insecure assets you want to bring in. Our initial plan is to take Ethereum and wrapped BTC, which is a mirror of a Bitcoin. Then it's to take DAI, which is the dollar from the maker protocol. And we will also be accepting the US dollar, Tether. We're also working on accepting a Euro stablecoin, which will be the closest to having a stability fee of zero that you can get. So it will almost be a pure exchange. However, in the end, The stability fee really depends on what kind of asset you're bringing in.
2: There is one thing we haven't talked about yet. There are people who prefer analog money because then you are unable to monitor what they are doing. With digital transactions, you leave a footprint. You could say a digital footprint.
1: How does that work here? The topic you raise here is the central bank's digital currency, and it's a huge issue. Unfortunately, with great regret, Christine Lagarde, the head of the European Central Bank, has stated that Europe will build some mechanisms into the digital euro they plan to issue so that the central bank can freeze and even confiscate your money. This means that they will basically be able to control you. This was actually seen in Canada last year. I'm talking about the strike with the truck drivers, where the government said that the strike is now illegal and therefore you must end it. The truck drivers disagreed, and then government officials said, we'll just close your bank accounts. So we simply go out and see whose trucks are parked there. Who are those people? Then we lock their bank accounts. And in this way, direct power was used to implement an opinion. And it's the same thing you saw the US do for the first time last fall against the system on the blockchain, where they said, now we don't think that this system is what it used to be, under the pretext of whatever they come up with, and said we want this system closed. You can't shut down a system on the blockchain, so it wasn't very successful. It is often stated in the Western media that China is a surveillance society, but we are at least as much monitored. And when Christine Lagarde comes forward and says, we want the ability to block the individual's money, then you have to seriously consider whether you want to use her product, or the products that are coming on the blockchain, which exactly says, we program our digital devices so that they can't be locked. Meaning, if you have the assets in your pocket, then they are yours. From my perspective, That programming difference is absolutely critical for people to maintain their personal freedom. You can't judge the ordinary millions because a few people are running around doing criminal activities. What it's all about is making sure that people can live in a free and open world. And those who are doing something they shouldn't according to the law should of course be caught. But you shouldn't create a dystopia of surveillance and the ability to punish people. There has never been a system of this kind that hasn't been exploited but does
2: that mean that the GSU cannot be shut down?
1: There is no coding that allows you to block the individual user. If you hold a GSU coin, it is yours. And neither I nor anyone else can lock it. I think this will be very important over the next few years. If you talk about, well, we need to prevent money laundering and terrorism and all sorts of things, we don't disagree with that. But we strongly disagree that you should be able to target everyone all the time, exactly as you see fit. And of course, we need to find those who break the law, but it must be done by other means. But can you still track the transactions? Yes, since it's on the blockchain. You could say that a blockchain is a digital notary public. For example, if you go to the public notary to sign an agreement with someone abroad, you can turn up and show them who you are. And then the person there, the notary, asks for verification of your identity and then witnesses that you signed the agreement and that your signature is legitimate before putting a stamp on it. It is the same with a blockchain. It checks if you can go through with a transaction, and then it keeps a record afterwards of the transaction that happened. So if I have 100 units on my blockchain address, the blockchain will say, Henrik, can I send 100 units to you? And then it says, Okay, I'm going to observe that it's happening. And then it always keeps the record that it happened. And now you have the 100 units. And this is really what a blockchain is in its simplest form. And then it has the extra function that you can't double spend. If you have a Word document on your computer, you can just make a copy of it. Then you have two identical Word files. You can't do that with the files on the blockchain. You can transfer them, but you can't copy them. If we look into the future,
2: say 10 years, we often say here at Tectopia. That we research the archaeology of the future and then we look at the small piece of the future that we have found now and then we say well what happens next and i can't really figure out if your gsu is a little piece of something that happens in the future or if
1: it is the opposite it is now the gsu is deployed on the ethereum mainnet and the gsu coins will be commercially pushed within the next six months what you need to ask yourself is How widely will it be adopted and with what speed? What do you think the
2: world will look like in 10 years with the GSU?
1: I envision a complete transformation in our understanding of what we call money today. It's all about grasping the functions of money, because once you understand the role it plays, that's when you can begin to develop alternatives. Let me try to illustrate this. When I was a young boy and wanted to play football with my friend, I'd pick up the telephone on our home's landline and dial his number. I'd say, let's meet at the football field in 15 minutes. And that was enough to set our plan in motion. Now, think about how we communicate today. We don't need that landline phone anymore. We can have the same function, namely conversation, via Skype or other digital means. The fundamental function, communication, remains unchanged, even though there's no need for the stationary telephone device. This analogy extends to money. To have the function of money, we don't necessarily need the physical bills and coins. This understanding is crucial. It's like the postal service. If I had said 30 years ago that we don't need the postal service, people would have thought I was crazy. Yet, here we are today, communicating instantly across the globe without sending a single letter. Money will also evolve. And that's what the GSU is really just a tool for. It's to allow us, in a more stable paradigm, with lower costs, and higher speed, to trade and transact more. The world won't get richer because I created the GSU, but they will get richer by using it. But if we look at some of the systems that came out of the internet more than 20 years ago, like I said, Hotels.com Mamando, and Skype, how widespread have they become? How many people use Google today as a search engine to find information instead of going to the library? And that answers your question of how widespread these developments will become. But what's really going to be fascinating is seeing the relationship that unfolds between the existing central banks and decentralized finance. You see, the decentralized finance world is unstoppable. It's like trying to legislate the direction of the wind. It's beyond our grasp. And it will be interesting to see how these interfaces occur. I think central banks expect the world to remain as it has for the last 50 years. However, the one thing I can say with absolute certainty is that it will not.
2: Yes, that was Jesper Toft who talked about the global stability unit, which he has invented and is in the process of implementing.
1: Tactopia. Thank
0: you for listening. If you want to learn more about the GSU, please visit www.gsu.com. And for more information on the GSU protocol solution, please explore www.gsuprotocol.com. To stay up to date with relevant updates, follow us on X at GSUCoin.